Hey listeners, producer Cam here. It's time to upgrade your full body grooming experience by switching over to the precision engineered tools at Manscaped. Their premium lawnmower 3.0 is not only waterproof, but includes an LED light as well, so you're not grooming in the dark. And it's made with skin-safe technology, which reduces those awful pesky nicks and cuts on your delegates. You get this trimmer inside the Perfect Package 3.0, which is all, which also includes the Manscaped Crop Preserver, a undercarriage deodorant, and the Crop Reviver, a family jewel toning spray. Both are super practical, and they are aromatic as they smell great. Plus, for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package Kit, you get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. You need to try this out for yourself, folks. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. Again, get 20% off and free shipping with the code THEATHLETIC20 at manscaped.com. THEATHLETIC20, all one word with a two and a zero in the numerical fashion. Always use the right tools for the job. Get Manscaped. field people will come and it doesn't happen you have to look at how you're doing business welcome to white Sox business a podcast about chicago's south side baseball team hosted by me john greenberg and more importantly james fegan subscribe to white Sox business on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcasts also check out james's and my work on the athletic as well james you saw yeah. a little bit of history on Tuesday night, a little bit of history. Don't step up. Don't step over my lines. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Um, how? I guess just describe what it, what it's like. A no hitter so strange because you know there's there's plenty of games where guys go four innings like this. You know, three innings, and you're like, wow, it looks really great. But you know, it's such a it's such an oddity, and you know, you can have a better game sometimes. You know, giving up two hits. You know, occasion. I think Zach Grinke was quoted as saying a no hitter is just a distraction. What was it like to watch Lucas Giolito deal like that from your terrible vantage point at uh, Guaranteed Rate Field? Well, there was a lot of strange stuff going on given that, you know, the power cut out in the second right. inning. And <laughs> um, it was, it's one thing when the lights flicker in your apartment, but when the lights flicker uh, in the stadium lights and this, uh, I don't know. Was the $25 million Jumbotron from the state is like going in and out? That's kind of a weird moment, uh, accompanied by a burning smell that seemed to linger for about 15 minutes afterward, and uh, the Wi Fi cutting out in the press box, and uh, resulting panic from some senior members of the White Sox beat. (laughs) I won't name names. (laughs) But um, I would say it's well, the thing with Lucas and possibly. You know, if I was going to be totally nerdy and lack perspective, like the whole adjustment from him that maybe keyed this was that he had been having trouble in the first inning. And right. you know, I was talking about this with his dad, is that he's just this huge limbed individual that it takes so long for him to physically get in sync. His command is typically a, you know, a little garbage in the first inning, and then he kind of usually gets better as he goes on and you know, the white Sox abide by pitch counts and whatnot. And they don't just let him roll unimpeded, but he is someone who literally tends to get stronger as the game goes on, who tends to kind of get more in sync and get better. So to speak, you know, obviously he would tire at some point, but it wasn't like 
well, he'll start falling apart by the eighth or ninth inning. He really, I if I look back on it, like I thought that first inning was a little shaky in terms of, you know, Adam Frazier gave him a little bit of a tough at bat until he like struck out. But his the pitch he threw to like Brian Reynolds, their three hitter, he just like absolutely split the plate with his fastball and Reynolds um like just fly it out weekly to center and I, I think I was texting Tom Fornelli is like the Pirates have a uh the type of lineup where you you know split the plate with a heater <laughs> to their three hitter and he just pops <laughs> out weekly. <laughs> so it was really after the second inning where he kind of I, I think by the end of it he had like gone through two innings, struck out three people and was on nineteen pitches. So like with the pitch count that he's at he's really going to be able to go really far. And the swings in that inning were so deeply uncomfortable. Like, I've seen countless <laughs> people out in front of his changeup, but even then, that's kind of a trained eye type of thing to, to know guys out in front of a changeup because uh, the way major leaguers are out in front, it, it tends not to be goofy or comical. But this was just like you could see it from the, the press box how out in front of these guys were and how they're falling over on their front foot and just totally out of rhythm and had no chance against it. And... I was going to work on a piece this season about just how weird Lucas's changeup is because he gets to throw it in all these different counts and whatnot. Probably still will, but um, it, it was kind of amazing some of the cuts that were going on. Like Cole, what Cole Tucker was swinging at in the eighth inning. Um, oh my god! <laughs> I'll never know. It's just it's just the lineup that's eating out of his hand. So by I had another plan for what I was going to do that night. I was had another story I was working on until probably the fifth inning, uh, where it's like this could really happen, and I really need to be prepared. Um, but it is just like something at this point because baseball has so many random bounces. I definitely thought it was possible it happened, but I knew that something kind of random would have to happen for Pittsburgh to really do anything against them because. There were not good at bats being had of any kind. It wasn't like somebody was going to win a duel with him. It's just maybe they'd put a bat on something that would fall. Well, it's right, and it's you know to give people some context. One of our pirate, our pirates beat writer, um, wrote a story. Is this the worst? Uh, could this be the worst pirates team in, in franchise history? And as a long suffering pirates fan who saw the team uh, go twenty years without a winning record, <laughs> which is which is pretty incredible. Uh, you know, that, that streak from the beginning of my eighth grade year until I was 34, I think. And watching what, you know, I, I left my two kids <laughs> and watched their playoff series, you know, at the end of the, one of the playoff games at a bar, uh, you know, there's a big gap. It's a big gap between good teams to the pirates. So if this being the worst team, that's saying a lot. And yeah, you, they were garbage. And, I think everyone – I wonder how many people won money on the White Sox run line last night because you couldn't have taken them. You wouldn't just bet them on the money. You wouldn't just bet them on the money line because it was too high because Lucas Giolito against the Pirates is like an enormous mismatch. Yeah, I mean, I mean the line – They. I think they've had injuries like Colin Moran. I mean, and it's already a bad state of affairs where you're talking about, man, we're really missing Colin Moran. But. Right, right. Like the guys that they put out there, like their three hitter was basically Brian Reynolds was basically the argument for him was like, well, he was good last year. Um, Josh Bell is like their huge power hitter last year, and he's slugging under 300 right now. Cole Tucker um, was one of their top prospects, but uh, yikes. Um, 
<laughs> and Adam Frazier like let off, or he's a second hitter. And my main memory of him was like, oh, he was like, he was pretty good when I was watching him rehab in Triple A like two years ago against like Carson Fulmer. I don't know how much that translates here. And their leadoff guy who almost had the hit and um, you know was the only base runner, Eric Gonzalez, is like, oh yeah, the utility guy from the Indians a couple years back. Cool. Um, like <laughs> there just wasn't much. Uh, there wasn't much. Uh, it kind of reminded me of the end of the Tigers lineup at the end of last year, where I was just thinking, like, is there anybody here that they really want to be playing three years from now? And uh, I don't, not many. Yeah, I, I wrote, you know, I think I wrote there's no fans and, and few major league hitters. <laughs> for, for, you know, one, one was a bad thing. One, one was definitely a, a good thing. You know, you, I was on the Zoom calls, you know, and I heard the, some people are very obsessed with this conversation that Lucas Giolito had with, with Rick Renteria in 2018. And I think, you know, something that's just as maybe important as Ricky giving him, you know, a little encouragement in 2018 before he, he remade himself in California is starting last year. He's got this relationship with James McCann and I think it's great. It's, you know, it's catnip for sports writers to talk about a catcher pitcher relationship that works, but it, it, this seems like it's been pretty valuable to Lucas's development. Yeah, I mean, he kind of, I feel like in 2018, he was really tied to Kevin Smith, but there wasn't necessarily, and it pains me to say this, any super special Kevin Smith properties that were translating uh, to success. Just a nice guy you want to hang out with. Right, and nice guy you want to hang out with is basically the idea that you've had behind Lucas Giolito's catching partners for the time. You want somebody (laughs) who can kind of guide him through... um, difficulty who's someone who is very like a, a shoulder to lean on someone who has gone through a lot of uh you know dealt with you know loss of confidence in the game who deals with like kind of um the game just kind of taking off on him and like his anxiety kind of taking over a little bit uh about what's going to happen and just losing confidence himself pitch to pit so you you need you always needed kind of a rah-rah um someone who's very positive and, and patting him on the back type of sort to, to with him. I don't know if that's still necessary now. And I'm sure the does should James McCann be Lucas's personal catcher uh, <laughs> debate will only be an overdrive uh, until the end of, you know, James McCann's career at this point. But it, it's funny how simpatico they are because James McCann comes off as this, uh, you know, he, talks of the twang and he went to Arkansas and he goes hunting in the off season. But James McCann is from Southern California as well. He just picked up his accent from going to school in Arkansas. And, um, uh, Wait, that's right. Yeah, James McCann's from California. How did, he's from I, Santa I Barbara. Wrote, I remember you wanted to write this last year. Did you ever write that? No, but I accent? talked to him a little about it, like off record and just like it was going, he said it was going to Arkansas when he was 18 and like having a roommate who was out from there as well. And he met his wife like in college and, her whole family's from Kentucky and he'd be yeah. like hanging out with them and whatnot. And I, it, he was at young enough where he could pick up the accent. I don't uh, think he's faking it's it. It's so at this weird. Point. So it's like, uh, what's his name? Brad Friedel, the goalie, the U S goalie that went to England that played in the premier league and then suddenly started talking, uh, with an English accent. That's who it reminds me of. But also John Lester, you know, people think John Lester's from like Texas or Georgia, 
because he it's walks around in cowboy right? hats. Right. Yeah. He went to like a prep school and like, no, no, he wasn't rich or anything, but he went to like a nice school in like Washington. I think outside like Tacoma or something. Uh, so it is kind of baseball. I think baseball lends itself to that more than anything. Just because you're right, because the influence of people from places with strong accents. But anyway, I, we digress there. What you're, what you're trying to say is opposites attract, right? I guess um, it's it's funny because, I mean, the, the big thing I guess McCann maybe helped them with last year was that, you know, beyond just being, um, you know, a confidant was probably shutting down the running game. Um which was something that Lucas was just like beset by in, in 2018, along with like everything else. But uh, th- McCann spent like all offseason working on his framing, and you know, purely early numbers is uh, you know average to decent or a little above average at this point. And um, Giulio's not a command guy, and it's something that you kind of just like in the past days where you'd want Carlos Rodon or now Dylan Cease paired up with a good framer to kind of grab strikes that he's not going to get otherwise because he's spraying the ball over. You know, McCann's almost the even better partner for him than he is now. And I don't know if McCann can totally get credit for that ridiculous CB Buckner call in the fifth inning where uh, he called the strike <laughs> three on Polanco like at his, his shins. But, uh, you know, it'll, it'll show up in his metrics, so might as well give him credit. James, let's take a moment here. From one of today's sponsors, and then we'll be back. I mean, you've written so much about Giolito's backstory; you could basically be his biographer. Uh, what, yeah, sounds like a good side gig. What? And you talked to Rick Giolito, you know, last night. What? You know, what about his backstory? I guess do people should people know? Like, what are some of your favorite anecdotes? Um. Like when you I mean, tell people, you know, because you've done a few of these stories. I mean, a lot of the stuff that he does is, all right, you have a bit of money that you were able to throw at this problem in terms of training, in terms of uh, <laughs> the neural pathway training is not something like, yeah, you home at home should do this uh, type of thing, or the, the core velocity belt. or We're playing for a, a Little League team that's got Dave Winfield as the coach. Right, oh, that was the the Cooperstown trip he did. Uh, I maybe one of the interesting things I I thought was this spring was that there was a couple stories breaking out across the league about um, other players trying to shorten their arm swings to what he did, or looking at his mechanics and the way he cleaned them up in a single off season. That was just not something that's supposed to be possible. Like you're not supposed to be able to make mechanical tweaks during the season at all. And even in the off season, you, you know, you're always, teams are always so hesitant to kind of overhaul a guy like that. That's deemed as such a last resort type of thing to do. And even then you kind of have so much worry about how much it's just never going to be comfortable for the player, even if it does wind up actually, uh, uh, improving them in some way. Like Zach Collins got a swing change, like somewhere in a ball, but, he was so uncomfortable doing it. They just said, you know what? Be yourself, strike out a lot, but you know, don't, don't make yourself just basically ineffective at the plate because you don't have any comfort in your mechanics. So the, the degree to which Lucas just completely remade everything he was doing physically in a single winter, um, it really kind of expanded the idea of what other major leaguers thought was possible in an offseason or what thought was even advisable to try to undertake. I don't think there's anyone necessarily... And I don't know if anyone ever will um, 
have the same type of impact or, or same change. I, I, the guy with the Rockies, the fact that I can't even remember his name probably doesn't speak to the idea that he has become an ace <laughs> pitcher now. But it, it was something that his father was talking about. Was that and you know even in the um, in, in examining the impact of this no hitter, like there's been over 300 other no hitters, um, but that what stands out is a guy coming from this kind of depth to do it and that it kind of hangs more meaning um, to see him make this journey and to know that such a incredible like rise and what's supposed to be a very tough league to make any progress in is, is possible and can be done and can be done seemingly over overnight. Um, <laughs> it just makes it, it makes me laugh to, to think about that. He was telling me this story at Soxfest in January 2019, and I was listening, but also basically going like, "So yeah, you, so you spent a lot of time with Kopech this winter. How, how's he doing? <laughs> Do you give him any advice? All like right. it was just like a secondary idea. Like, oh yeah, Lucas apparently did some mechanical stuff, but he also you know made sure Kopech was all right. You know, the talented guy that we still care about. Um, it, it's I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I had every reason to give up on him, even as someone who was literally forced to watch his whole 2018 for my job and and see if there were any positives to focus on. It was just I had written him off. I was to the point where he's talking about it in spring, and it was like, okay, that's nice, Lucas. Uh, <laughs> I'll write this up, well, but it, I'm not going to go talk about transformation. Like, yeah, you're throwing different. I guess you were desperate, but okay. Well, right, and I had talked to you know another GM. Yeah, you know, before at, at, at right after the trade, but before he even you know started pitching for the White Sox, and said he's like, yeah, the Nationals are basically offering him to anyone that offseason. They wanted to get rid of him while the value was still you know somewhat high, and you could still people like us could still write uh, top pitching prospect, you know, the former number one prospect in all baseball or pitching prospect in all baseball and all that stuff. But they you know were smart. But you know the way I thought about him coming over. And that trade, you know, if you're going to judge Rick Hahn's trades, you know, to start the rebuild, was the Eaton trade is just kind of like whatever you get's a bonus because Adam Eaton, while he's good, you know, is part of a World Series winner. Nothing, no knock against him. They did not want to keep him around. You know, it's not like trading. You trade Sale, Chris Sale, and you trade Jose Quintana. You better get with their contracts. You better get some. You better. I don't want to say win those trades, but you better get at least equal value. And whereas the Nationals trade was just like, all right, this is, I don't know why they, they gave all these guys away for Adam Eaton, but let's take it. I mean, I would say Eaton had value. I mean, he was productive and he had like five years right. left on his deal. But I think people saw it in terms of like, wow, they got Giolito and two other dudes who were like legitimate right. actual prospects. And it was more like, what a what an incredible heist. And it was more like, yeah, we need Dunning and Lopez too to make this actually work for us. Because like, we're not just going to trade straight up for a reclamation project. And like, I think at the time, um, Lopez was the, was this, if you like read like baseball America or those type of guys, people who were maybe a little bit more aware that Giolito was not what he was. They're like, Lopez is really probably the get of this, this trade. He's a guy who debuted yeah. last year. He's the one still throwing hard. He, I, I would probably, that was, that was the hipster thing to say is like, you know, the real best prospect is Lopez. Uh, and uh, Dane actually, Dunning the was real hipster like, thing, right? I was gonna say Dunning should be like the hipster hipster. Uh, he he was hipster, but he was also like he'd only <laughs> pitch in short season ball, and he was like a back of the round first round. There that that was talked up a little He's, bit, and now I would probably he, say 
Lopez is a straggler of that group. And, you know, if right. I had to pick between Dunny and Lopez, I would probably take Dunny at this uh, this time, mainly because, you know, Dunny has not had the opportunity to disappoint yet, probably. But um, right. Dunning was like the zine. He was like the zine prospect. Like right. People that, yeah. that stapled baseball stuff together. <laughs> knew him. Um, so, James, you talked to you talked to Rick Giolito, uh, your buddy, last night. Um, you know, or actually, guess I guess you should say Wednesday morning. You probably talked to him out in California. He doesn't watch the games. He's in New York. Crazy. They, they moved now, so I was even more. Oh, they live in New York. Like, they oh, they wow. moved to the the Rensselaer Peninsula. Why? I think it's upstate. I don't know. I think that. I want to say Rick had some uh, family up there. Okay. Apparently That's they live crazy. next they door to California. Uh, yeah. Uh, apparently they live next door to uh, his mother, Lindsay Frost's brother. Okay. Yeah. Not the, co- not the uh, ex quarterback slash Nebraska coach. Right. That was what I first thought of, but um, yeah, he, he doesn't watch the games. He basically it's, it's too painful or it's too much to, to deal with. Um, it's, it's too much anxiety. Uh, you know, they've watched him get hurt. Um, they've watched him struggle in 2018 and, you know, even especially not being at the park and watching on TV thousands of miles away, it would be such a, like a powerless feeling of anything went wrong. It, it, it's just like, I get, it, it's too much. Like it would be too much to deal with. Like, um, just the, the nervousness of, um, of how much they want the best for him all, all the time. And apparently he's very strict about this. His mother, Lindsay was a bit more willing to step out. Um, and she, because it was such a big deal for him to get the opening day start, that was the game that she, um, started watching again live. And <laughs> I don't know if you remember how that went, but the first pitch of the season, Max Kepler launches into the seats and things don't really get better from there. So they had caught, they had sworn back off watching him live after that. And it was only like, um, in, only during the middle of the game. And Rick has turned off his cell phone during the middle of the game. But people are calling their landline so much that they're realizing what's happening. And like their, their, uh, their youngest son, uh, Casey is texting, uh, Lindsay, the mother, and, and telling him, like, are you watching this? Are you, can you believe this? And finally, like, the ninth inning, Lindsay is going to turn it on and watch. And Rick is like, you watch. <laughs> and he said he poured himself a bourbon and walked out the front door and just walked walked around the neighborhood taking sips and, like, trying to calculate has oh, it been God. long enough where he can come home yet. And by he's almost home and he comes across his next-door neighbor, which is his brother-in-law, and he asked him what happened. And he says he threw a no-hitter, and he's just, you know... Freaking out in the middle of the neighborhood, in the middle of a pandemic, uh, about his son having thrown a no hitter. Um, and, and Lucas's wife is a vet student in Davis, California, and I think he said he did say that she threw her phone when people tried to text her about it. I don't know if she wasn't watching or she just didn't want anyone to jinx it. It sounded like she wasn't watching. For, See, that I was thought my maybe she's, at least. I, mine was jinxing. But it, so it definitely had a very uh, <laughs> sitcom-y like, description of someone seeing a text and just nervously chucking their phone across chucking the it. room. Exactly. It was – it's just a great – you know, and, and guys talked about this last night. Listen, everyone's – guy could be the biggest, the worst guy in the clubhouse. People are going to feign enthusiasm. It's just cool to see a no-hitter. But Lucas Giolito is generally a very, very genial, like, delightful goof. What did you refer to him as once? You, you had an animal uh, – Affable uh, giraffe. An affable giraffe. 
that's I mean that's about as good as it gets. And he, I think you asked, you were the one that asked him about how he comported himself, or someone did. And he said, you know, I just did what I usually do: walk around drinking Red Bull because he just kind of bounces <laughs> around the dugout <laughs> during a game. I think you brought it up because it was like that Minnesota game last year, right? Yeah, where, where he you couldn't shut down sit the down. Twins. Right. And so I, I knew he couldn't sit down again, but I was like, was it, I basically wanted to know if it was nerves or if it was just him being him. And he's like, yeah, I, I was just doing my thing, drinking Red Bulls. And I had like several fans being like, did he mean bulls, plural? And I'm like, yes, definitely. <laughs> he's, a, he's, a, he's a gamer. He's a gamer, stays up all night drinking Red Bulls and just being a big dork. And he's also now, you know, he's thrown the 19th no-hitter in White Sox history. And, you know, I think Sox fans obviously – want to hope that this year will turn out differently than previous years where White Sox pitchers threw no hitters because 2007, 2009, and even 2012 were not uh, banner years for the White Sox. I mean, that's it's most years for the White Sox. I don't know if you can yeah, blame it on no hitters. <laughs> I just remember, what, uh, I think it was I was doing a Burley story. It was before the, it was before, um, what's his name? Did it? Phil Humber did it, but I was talking to Przinsky about something and we were talking about the Burley no hitter, and then that was the same year Jenks in 07 had his uh, scoreless streak and something else. And AJ just goes, Wow, we never really do well when these things happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think there's a Jenks. Um, I think it's an incredible story. You did a great job telling it, James. Um, thanks for coming on to do this emergency podcast on four hours sleep. Uh, and we appreciate you guys listening. Listen to more White Sox business as the trade deadline approaches. Oh.